Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. That was good. Let's try another one. Let's try Happy Reformation Sunday. Beautiful. Juan, they follow me better than your choir follows you. That's all I'm going to say. No. (laughs) Friends, it is a joy and privilege to gather here for worship, so let us focus our hearts and minds now on the reason that we are called together, which of course is the worship of the living God, and let us be called together as we read responsively from the 139th Psalm. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Friends, let us worship the living God.
Come now, brothers and sisters, and let us make confession to the Lord our God in one voice, admitting to our sins and our shortcomings. Please join me as we read together the prayer of confession. God of our fathers and mothers, you raised up brave and able leaders to reform the church. We confess that we have lost our way again and need new reformation. We are content with easy religion, with too much comfort and too little charity. We cultivate indifference and neglect compassion. Lord, let your word shake us up and your spirit renew us so that we may repent, have better faith, and never shrink from duty and joy of building up your kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, the only Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the saying is true and should be believed that in Christ Jesus, who came into the world for sinners such as us, gives us new life because of his death and his resurrection. Know that you are forgiven and set free from sin to live in abundance through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. of Christ be with you. You know the routine. Share that everywhere. Friends, as we are settling back into our pews, let me invite our young disciples to go ahead and be dismissed to their Sunday school classes. Uh, it looks like most of them are already there. As you realize, there's the trunk or treat going on today. That's our version of, of Halloween here. And I see that many of you have dressed in your Sunday morning go to church costumes, and that qualifies you for going over to trunk or treat after this service if you'd like to go and check out all the wonderful decorations, and I don't know if they'll give you candy or not, but you might as well give it a try. What can we say? We have some beautiful flowers in the sanctuary this morning with us that are here from yesterday's wedding service of Carolyn Hilgren and Ryan McMahon, and we are praying for them as they begin their married life together. We also are praying about all the folks that God is bringing into the life of the church through our new members class. That's going to be next Sunday after this service. If you're thinking about joining the church, want to talk about joining the church, want to think of other reasons why you should never join the church, want to argue with me about 
about that, then come to the new member seminar. That's next Sunday. You can register online. On Saturday, the 12th of November, we are going to be painting playhouses out in the parking lot just south of the Fellowship Center. These are a Habitat for Humanity project that we've been part of for a long time. We'll be giving those playhouses to families that have some kids and need a little extra support and encouragement. So if you'd like to paint or watch other people get paint all over themselves, that's on Saturday, November 12. Following this service today, we are welcoming a, a relatively new friend of mine, but a very good friend of mine, the Reverend Dr. Paul Hadostian. Paul is on his way down from the L.A. area right now. He's been speaking at the board meeting of the Hagazian University. Hagazian is an Armenian school uh, that is in downtown Beirut, and it is one of the shining lights of education and hope for people in the Middle East. Paul will be coming down and speaking about uh, Middle Eastern Christianity. So we do have a few lunch slots left in the parlor following this service. So run, don't walk, but don't run over other people to get your spot if you'd like to hear Paul speak for a while about that fascinating topic. At 5 o'clock today, we're going to have a Zoom meeting, which will be a congregational meeting. As of yesterday, we did not have enough people registered to make it a legitimate, an actual congregational meeting. So if you are a member of the church particularly and have not yet signed up for that meeting, please go onto the church website this afternoon, register, and then sit with us for what we think will be about 15 or 16 minutes so that we can elect our new elders and deacons and congregational nominating committee members, as well as act on Jan's request to dissolve the pastoral relationship so she can go happily off into the sunset of retirement and doing 18,000 other things, I'm sure. So that's at 5 o'clock today. So here's the good news. You don't have to come back to church. You don't have to get dressed. You can be eating or drinking whatever you want to be eating or drinking. You can have other things going on behind you, but we need you for that meeting. So, speaking of Jan Farley, today happens to be her birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday to gives us lots of reasons to be happy, to be joyful, to be thankful, to be filled with gratitude. And it is out of that sense of gratitude that we give back to God so that God can keep spreading the joy. As this next musical piece is being offered, let me invite you to bring your offerings to the baskets or to go online with the QR code or to call your broker and turn everything over to the church, whatever it will take to give your offering to God. God bless.
You may be seated. Confident in the gracious mercy of our Lord, we bring our prayers, prayers of praise and petition to the Lord. As I pray, I will pause and say, Lord, in your mercy, and invite you as you are able to say, hear our prayers. Let us join together and pray. God of glory and majesty, our God who calls us by name and breathes life into our very soul, hear our prayers of praise and petition. Awaken us a desire to love you with all our heart, mind, and strength. On this Reformation Sunday, we pray that you would liberate to us from our bondage to sin. God of freedom, that our church would continually be reshaped and reformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Show your righteousness, God of justice, that all who are oppressed and marginalized, forgotten and cast aside, would be given voice by elected leaders and compassionate citizens. May your church, in her work, be in the forefront of modeling the work for justice, equality, and dignity for all people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Make wars to cease and all the word, God of peace, that all strife, violence, and bloodshed give way to reconciliation, compassion, and new life. Take us by your hand, God of compassion, when we are paralyzed by our fears and unable to step out in boldness. Give us courage to walk confidently with you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give your stillness, God of calm, to all who are facing illnesses or surgeries or anything uncertain in health. We lift up in prayers Lucille, Frank, Bob, Halicha, Rita, Dawn, and William, as well as those that are on our heart that are not spoken aloud. Lord God, may they know that they are in your ever-healing hands. Lord, we rejoice that not even death can keep us from your grace and love. Knowing that Rusty's baptism is now complete and he is with you in our kingdom, in, in the kingdom triumphant, we ask for prayers for Sharon and Dan and the whole family. Give us strength to trust what we long to see face to face. Continue to comfort, Lord, the Stum family and the Aronsi family. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Write your law of love on our hearts, God of all, that we, like our forebears in faith, would be unswerving in our witness to your grace that is ours through the gift of faith. Listen to us when we call upon you, most merciful God, and grant us grace to entrust our lives and our world to your unfailing love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we pray together the prayer he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute them, distribute the proceeds to all as had need. Day by day, 
As they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Friends, family, it's good to be home. It's always exciting, a little bit tense to get into this metal tube and go a few miles up in the sky with nothing holding you up underneath so that you can go see some other folks. It's always thrilling now to go into the churches in Syria and Lebanon and see old friends and give them a hug. Last week we were in Damascus doing that, the week before in Latakia. I preached to you from a midweek service in Aleppo. All very exciting, all very thrilling, but there's nothing like coming back home. When I go, when I spend some time in some of the very places that are spoken of in the Scriptures, it always takes my heart back to the Scriptures in, in a new kind of way. When you read about the Apostle Paul, for instance, traveling around and preaching and teaching in places that we also are now preaching and teaching it, it sort of brings the old stories back to life and back into real life. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up as a kid, going to church and, and hearing the stories about what happened in faraway Israel and faraway Syria and thousands of years ago, it made it all sort of unreal, if you will, kind of like a, a TV show or a movie. But when you actually go back and, and visit with some of the people who are the great, 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 great grandchildren of some of those first folks, it makes you think about those old folks as if they're your folks. And that's really cool as far as I'm concerned. And so I want to take us back today to an old story of some of the folks that, that we are related to, related at least through faith. That brief story that Suhail read just a moment ago about what happened in the very, very, very early church after Jesus was gone. Now, Let's set the context of this. You'll remember that Jesus was born, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again and said to the disciples, you guys carry on from here. And then they hadn't the foggiest idea what to do. <laughs> 
that that happens with people when they lose their leader, so to speak. Now, we know, of course, that they had not lost their leader, but he was not with them in the same way. And so, for the first 50 days or so after the resurrection, the disciples met with Jesus, and then Jesus left, and then they weren't at all certain what to do next until they gathered together, as was their custom every day. They gathered together, and God appeared among them in the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You know that story. After the Pentecost event, when the disciples felt empowered with the continuing presence of God with them and the power of the Spirit, then Peter began to preach. It's what we call the first Christian sermon in the history of the church. Peter began to remind the disciples of what they had heard and seen and known and experienced in Jesus, and other people began to listen to the story too. It was really quite a story. I mean, if you had had a friend who had died and you'd buried that friend and then discovered they were resurrected, you'd tell somebody about it, wouldn't you? Well, that's what the first Christians were doing, and that's what Peter was doing in his first sermon. He was telling people about the resurrection of Christ and telling people that God had done something incredibly amazing, a, a brand new event in the history of the world, a, a pivotal event in the entire story of the cosmos. And then the story we just heard today is about what happened next. And that story tells you and me something that we need to remember today. Something that we need to remember every day, frankly, if we want successfully to follow Jesus. Not just for ourselves, but if we want to follow Jesus as, as a community of people. I'll talk more about that in a moment. You see, what happened to the first church tells us what needs to keep happening today so that other people can come to know Jesus and so that the blessings of life that come as we follow Jesus keep happening for us. Let's look at this brief story. There are several things that the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, probably the Apostle Luke, that the writer of the Acts tells us went on in the early church. And they're very easy to gloss over. They're very easy to skip over, but we can't do that because they're actually fundamental. They are foundational to who we are and what we do. I operate off the assumption that each one of you has shown up here today because you are interested in following Jesus. You're interested in following a little bit closer, maybe with a little more inspiration, a little more information, maybe finding your way through a particular problem that you're having in life right now, or, or, or maybe just wanting to know more so that you can do more. Whatever it is, you are here because you too want to follow Jesus. And so what can we learn from this little story? Well, the first thing that we're told is that after Peter's sermon, the community of new disciples continued 
to listen to the teaching of the apostles. What was that teaching? It was really nothing more than telling the stories about Jesus, about what had happened to Jesus, about the things that Jesus said. Maybe they were telling stories about the story of of, of the Good Samaritan, for instance. They were telling all the stories that Jesus had told. They were telling the stories that involved Jesus himself, how Jesus had healed lepers, how Jesus had welcomed the outcasts and the untouchables and the unwantable people in society, how Jesus had confronted the leaders of society and in so many words told them where they were going wrong. The teaching of the apostles was nothing more than helping people get to know who Jesus was and what he had done and what that meant for their lives. And that always forms the heart of what you and I need to know. That is the heart of what we study, the heart of what we meditate upon. And yes, there's a whole lot more. We look at the rest of the story of Scripture, but always through the lens of Jesus Himself. We can never give that up. We must never think that we have learned everything there is to learn about Jesus, that we know all that there is to know about God. And we can go off and play golf on Sunday morning or play pickleball on Sunday morning or just sleep in. At some point in time through the week, every serious disciple of Jesus Christ continues to learn about the story of Jesus. That's the teaching The next thing we're told that that went on in this early community that was probably a whole lot smaller than the community that's gathered right here. It eventually grew. We know it grew. But in that community, people got together. There it is, deep theology. They got together. The people came together, maybe as often as every day, at least once a week. They came together to share their stories about Jesus, to share what they were learning, to share their struggles, to talk about the new insights and inspirations they had, to encourage each other, to strengthen each other. They simply got together. They didn't have the benefit of Zoom or Facebook or all those other demonic electronic sorts of things that go on. They physically had to be in each other's presence, and there is no substitute. There are some other things that help, but there is no substitute for physically being present with each other as we learn about Jesus. Now, oftentimes when they got together, they broke bread. That word That phrase, breaking bread, is an interesting phrase in our history. We can use it in a couple of different ways. We can say, hey, let's let's break bread together sometime. That means, you know, let's go to Casa de Bandini. Let's go to the inn. Let's go to, better yet, in and out. And let's break bread together, right? 
That's important. When people are eating together, we're sharing with each other. There's that kind of breaking bread going on. Obviously, for the very early Christian community, they began to understand that breaking bread meant going back to that last supper that the disciples had had with Jesus. And knowing that when you break bread, you're remembering Jesus' body being broken and his blood being poured out as you pour the wine. I happen to believe that the earliest Christian church did not celebrate the sacrament of communion on the first Sunday of every month. What they did was they ate together all the time. And when they broke bread together, they broke bread. They celebrated the sacrament of Jesus' love and the welcome to the table and the fellowship of the table. If we had the budget for it, Bob, I'd say let's have a church-wide breakfast every day and a church-wide lunch every day and a church-wide dinner every day and a church-wide late-night snack every day. And would all be 800 pounds. It'd be great. <laughs> they broke bread together. They got together and they ate together. And in their eating, they remembered Jesus. We're told that they prayed together. I know we use that term very flippantly these days, perhaps. I hope not always. I know it's not always. People say, pray for me. We say, sure. And then go on our way. But people actually prayed for each other. How many of you are involved in a prayer project right now? By that I mean praying with someone, praying for someone about something that does not have an instantaneous answer. Let's pray that we find a parking space today. Okay, we found the parking space, we're done. How about let's pray that that child who is struggling with substance abuse overcomes that abuse. That's a prayer project. How about a prayer for, for someone who's lost from the Lord and trying to find their way through life? That's a prayer project. How about a prayer for someone who's struggling with a, with a physical disease that might end up taking them? That's a prayer project. How about a prayer for someone who is still grieving the loss of someone they've loved who is now gone, maybe just two days ago, maybe two years ago, maybe 20 years ago? That's a prayer project. We pray for each other and lift each other up into God's presence knowing that God is involved with them and that when we are involved with them in that love and care and concern that, that God is working His miracle of healing. This little story reminds us that the people were together all the time. They spent time together. They shared life together. Now, that did not mean that they were in church the whole time. That would be so incredibly deadly. I don't like going to church that much. I don't know about you all. You know, worship is a great thing. Don't get me wrong, but it's a lot of work. What I like better than going to church is being with the church, being with the people of the church, sharing life with each other. 
That's what the people of the early church did because they had a common belief, a common focus, a common goal in life, a common Savior. There should be something special, not that you love them more, but there should be something special about being with those friends who also know Jesus and are also seeking to follow Jesus. We are told that they did this day by day. Not just at Christmas and Easter, not just when life was a little bit rough and, and you needed a shot in the arm, but day by day. Now that implies pretty much every day. Every day. In some way, shape, or form, if you and I are going to follow Jesus, we need to be involved in someone else's life who also is following Jesus. It's very simple. And yet we so often forget that or, or, or we neglect that. Of course, we need to have other friends. We need to have other people in life. How is the rest of the world going to hear about Jesus if we who do not know Jesus don't go out into the world and bring them into our love and fellowship? That has to happen too. But at some point, if you're serious about following Jesus, and if you want to have the benefits and the blessings and the opportunities and the challenges of following Jesus, you have to do it day by day with other people. Now, all of that, all of that is so that you and I can be strengthened and built up and encouraged and get better in our discipleship. It's what we do to make ourselves strong. It's what we do to keep ourselves on that so-called straight and narrow. It's what we do so that, that we're sure that, that we're not going off into other ways of thinking or not moving into disastrous ways of acting. That's all about being inwardly strong, but that's not the end of the story. You see, your discipleship to Jesus is not just about you. Our discipleship to Jesus is not just about us. There's something else involved. And unless that something else is there, we've missed the boat. In this little story, very simply, we are told that the folks of the early church began to sell things that they had and distribute the proceeds to those who needed. The folks who were following Jesus learned that part of following Jesus was helping take care of other people. Now, this is long before the fall pledge campaign. <laughs> this is long before any sense that you could have the bank automatically deduct 10% from your checking account and make sure it goes to the church. This is a very simple transaction. You meet so-and-so who also now is following Jesus, and, and that person needs some food or some medical care or maybe a place to live or a new set of clothes. They don't have the wherewithal to do that, but you do, so you sell something you have and you give it to someone who doesn't have. That's the heart of a lot of Christian mission, actually. Not just telling people that Jesus loves them, that's 
part of it, but showing people that Jesus loves them because you are actually actively loving them. We grow inwardly strong so that we can be outwardly focused and do the same things that Jesus did. By the way, that's part of what I do on your behalf when I go into the Middle East is I take the inward strength of this congregation, the heart of this congregation, and share it with other folks. They all said to me, be sure to say hi to our brothers and sisters in Rancho Santa Fe. So let me check that off the box right now. Hi, brothers and sisters in the Village Church in Rancho Santa Fe. You want to say hi back? Excellent, excellent. A part of what I do is take things that we have sold and distribute them to those who need. The way it works out is that I spend your money. I really love spending other people's money, <laughs> your money. Not just that, but bringing your prayer, bringing your encouragement, bringing your support to people of the church elsewhere so that I can bring theirs back to you. You see, they pray for you. Do you realize that? People in Syria, people in Lebanon, people in Iraq, they are praying for the church in America. They're worried about the church in America. They're heartbroken about the church in America when they hear that people are going away from the church in America. They're confused, they're, they're mystified by how it is that people in America who are so richly blessed aren't in church every Sunday morning thanking God for those blessings. And they're worried about us because they're worried that we're losing our faith and they're praying for us. Now, all of this that we do, all of this building up the body and becoming strong in Jesus so that we can then do the things that Jesus did by taking care of other folks, all of that is done with a particular attitude, if you will, a particular focus in the heart. And that's talked about in this little passage as well. We're told that the people were devoted devoted. That's a great word, isn't it? Devoted. They were committed. They weren't just interested. It wasn't just a passing thing that they did every once in a while. They were devoted to their faith. They were devoted to the practices of their faith, of gathering together, of learning, of sharing, of all the rest. They were glad. They were glad. Is anybody happy here today? Good. Good. You may have total hell going on in your life right now. I understand that. But still underneath that, we can be glad in the knowledge of Christ's love for us and in the hope of resurrection and all of those things. The people were glad, the way the phrase is put together, the people were glad and generous. Glad and generous. Maybe the two things go together. Generosity is something that has fascinated me recently, not just generosity in a financial sort of way, but generosity of spirit, generosity in who you are. You know, we can all point to people who are 
very, very wary of spending their time with someone else, very, very wary of, of welcoming someone else into their friendship, very, very wary that everybody out there is out to get something from them. They're very limited, very controlled in their lives. That's not a generous spirit. A generous spirit says, hey, who's out there to love? A generous spirit says, what can I do? You can't do everything, but you can usually do something. A generous spirit reaches out to the world, to the people that are not like us, maybe even the people who don't like us, and says, let's figure out how we can be together with each other. That's a generosity of spirit that comes from a gladness of the heart, a gladness of the heart that recognizes that it's from God's generous spirit that we are welcomed into fellowship and friendship with God Himself. And therefore, we can welcome and be generous with others. You know what happened? You know what happened to people who became glad and generous in their hearts? Do you know what happened to the people who began to share with other folks? Do you know what happened to the people who began to learn about Jesus and learn from Jesus and follow Jesus together? They began to attract other people. Isn't that interesting? We are told in this story that the small community of followers of Jesus had the goodwill of everyone else around them. That's one of those biblical phrases that we tend to gloss over because we're not quite sure what it means. Well, I am quite sure what it means. What it means is that all the other folks that were not following Jesus began to hear about the folks who were following Jesus. They began to hear about the quality of life that they had together and the impact of the life that they had as they were sharing with others. And they began to say, hey, that's cool. I want some of that. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant with a couple of friends and you've sat down? And at the table next to you, there's a group of people that are just having the time of their lives. They're laughing, they're hugging, they're eating, they're having a magnificent time. And there you are sitting with your friends, just kind of mumbling to each other. And it's kind of dull and boring and not very exciting. And, you know, at some point you say to yourself, gee, I wish I was sitting at that other table. You ever had that experience? Come on, be honest with me. That's what was going on in the life of the early church. The early church was so full of joy, so full of passion, so full of a sense of service and impact out in the world, all that stuff that other people said, I want to be part of that. And that's why the early church grew so quickly. I'm bringing all this up because today is Reformation Sunday. It's a day when we remember a time 500 years ago that the church began to remember again who it was, what it was supposed to be doing in the world. The church had forgotten, but we must never forget. We must always remember who we are and what our business is in the world as we follow Jesus individually and as we follow Jesus as a community of people. We don't do it by ourselves. We do it with other people. 
Now, I know you're looking around right now and you're saying, I wish I could get some other people to be part of this. That's part of our job is to bring other people into that. But as we do that together with each other, day by day, sharing bread with each other, breaking bread with each other, praying for each other, learning together with each other, that's part of what we do to keep building our lives on the rock that is Jesus. I brought another rock with me today. You can't have this rock. I only have one of them. And it's actually a bunch of rocks. This is actually a piece of a core drilling that was pulled out of the foundation of the St. Peter, the Saint-Pierre Cathedral in Geneva where John Calvin preached. They were doing some renovations and shoring up some of the foundations of this almost thousand-year-old cathedral, and they pulled these rocks out of the ground, and I got to get a piece of this rock. And this rock reminds me of those people 500 years ago who found the old way, which is the only way of following Jesus. The church had lost it. But they found it again as they went into the bedrock of their faith, as they went down deep to understand who they were and what they were about. Learning, sharing, praying, living daily life together. If we do that and as we do that, we will be blessed with all the gifts that we need to be strong and all the gifts that we need to share with others. That's what I'm interested in. I believe that's what you are interested in as well. So let's keep going. Amen. Affirm our faith by reading from the Scots Confession of 1560. As we believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, so we firmly believe that from the beginning there has been, now is, and to the end of the world shall be one Kirk. That is to say, one company and multitude of men chosen by God, who rightly worship and embrace him by true faith in Christ Jesus, who is the only head of the Kirk, even as it is the body and spouse of Christ Jesus. The Kirk is Catholic, that is universal, because it contains the chosen of all ages, of all realms, nations, and tongues, be they of Jews or be they of the Gentiles, who have communion and society with God the Father and with his Son, Christ Jesus, through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit.
Thou wast their rock, their fortress. We have a rock, a mighty rock, a fortress, a ground of our being, and his name is Jesus. Get to know him, follow him, encourage and support others who are doing the same, and we'll be just fine. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and always. Amen.